Amen. Well, let's, let's go to the Lord and pray together this morning. Father, we come and we just echo the words of the song we just sang. Indeed, may we be yours alone. Our hearts are so you know, quickly moved in this way and that. And we just pray that you would work in our hearts a constancy of just steady, continual love. And we, we praise you, Lord, and we thank you that we know that you will keep us by your grace until the end. And, and so we, we rejoice that for all of us who know Christ, our salvation is sure. And so we look to you, and indeed our boast this morning is in you. It isn't in the things we have. It isn't in you know our cars or houses or any of this stuff, education or success or reputation um, or a building here or any of these things. It is Christ. And so we come this morning boasting in him, the one who is our hope, the true hope, the hope of our souls this morning. And so we can cry out to you and seek your face with all of our hearts knowing that we're not praying to these walls, but we're praying to the living God who reigns from here into the vastness of the universe. You are God, and we come this morning humbled before you. We come worshiping you and glorifying you, and so we come, and our boast is in you, and we pray Uh, as we come gladly glorying in the gospel, that we come as not those who are worthy of salvation, regardless of, you know, what our backgrounds have been, we recognize that it is grace and all of us, every one of us is lost and we were lost and we were broken and we were sin separated from you. Desperately in need of this one true gospel. And we thank you that in Christ our hope is found. And so we thank you this morning and we rejoice in glory in this gospel this morning. And so we pray that your, the gospel would infect our hearts. It would fill our hearts. It would fill our lives. And it would fill everything we do. And so we pray that our eyes would be steadfastly upon the gospel this morning as we come to your word as your gospel will be lifted up and we see that in Christ and in following Christ we have these sober words that we will be hearing from John 15. And so I pray and we pray that you would help us to hear it and hear it well, especially as we so easily lean right into just being comfortable and like, you know, I don't really think that this is what the gospel is saying, but it, but it is. And so may you help us to receive all these things this morning. Grow, up, grow in us a passion for you and for your word and for the gospel in all its fullness. And so help us, Lord, we pray. And we ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles the Gospel of John. We'll be in John 15, kind of picking back up 
where we left off. And so we'll be in John 15, and looking at verses 18 through chapter 16, verse 4. What barren here in this so good a soil? The sight of this doth make God's heart recoil from giving thee his blessing, barren tree. Bear fruit, or else thine end will cursed be. Art thou not planted by the waterside? Knowest not that thy Lord be fruit is, by fruit is glorified? The sentence is this, cut down the barren tree, bear fruit, or else thine end will cursed be. Hast thou been digged about and dunged too? Will neither patience nor yet dressing do? The executioner is come, O tree. Bear fruit, or else thine end will cursed be. He that about thy roots takes pains to dig would, if on thee were found but one good fig, preserve thee from the axe, but barren tree, bear fruit, or else thy end will cursed be. The utmost end of patience is at hand. Tis much if thou much longer here doth stand. O cumber ground, thou art a barren tree. Bear fruit, or else thine end will cursed be thy standing, nor thy name will help at all when fruitful trees are spared. Thou must fall. The axe is laid unto thy roots, O tree. Bear fruit, or else thine end will cursed be. So this poem here by John Bunyan, it's a sobering words, but his words well get at the message that we have been hearing from Jesus over these last weeks now as we've walked through John 15 and, and what has been that message. Well, we've seen a lot of various things from John 15 and John 14, but what we do see is that fruit bearing matters. And hopefully, you know, you've heard me say that again and again. And John Bunyan just kind of comes alongside Scripture and says, You see how much it matters? The axe is indeed coming. And we've seen that from John 15 as well with Jesus saying things like, The branches will be gathered that do not bear fruit and thrown into the fire and burned. And so fruit-bearing matters and that fruit bearing it it doesn't happen because of the branches but why does it happen the fruit bearing happens because of the vine (laughs) the vine that the branches are attached to the vine that the branches are abiding in which we know that's christ and so if that branch is in christ it will bear fruit And one fruit that we have seen and we saw very recently from John 15. In fact, we left off seeing this from John 15 is the fruit to love one another. Here in our passage this morning, we find not so much that call again, 
but instead we find the opposite of that expressed towards us. And so the opposite of love, not from fellow branches, but from the world. So let's read here and see this then, beginning there in John 15, verse 17. And I'll read until chapter 16, verse 4. So Jesus, he says here in verse 17, These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour, their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So Jesus' words here, they function something like a forewarning. You know, so like a, a warning sign. You know, so the kind of sign you might, you might find, you know, while you're driving, you know, going along the way. You know, and some of you have traveled recently, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. All those signs, you, you drove here, so you know exactly what I'm talking about in that regard. But, you know, as you're driving along the way and, you, you know, you see signs like, you know, sharp curve ahead. You know, and what will happen if you just kind of look at that sign and you say, I, I don't care. You know, I mean, you're going to be in trouble. I mean, this is for your good that you are being kind of forewarned. There is a sharp curve ahead. You need to kind of slow down or signs like reduce speed. Now you know something is ahead that is requiring of you to stop driving as fast as you are for your, your good. Or even signs like danger ahead, right? 
I mean, something, you don't know what it is maybe, but it's dangerous and it's ahead and you need to be careful at what is coming. Well, Jesus' words here, they are kind of functioning like that. They are intended to prepare you, intended to kind of give you this forewarning. And so what he says here in our verses this morning, they come in contrast to verse 17. I read that along with our passage because we are meant to see this contrast between the love of the saints and the hate of the world. So if you, like, what did he say in verse 17? Well, verse 17, he said, These things I command you so that you will love one another. So the love that we as believers have for one another, it is to be kind of this cool water in the midst of a hating world. You know, just, oh, refreshing You know, this is the way the world is. But thank God for the saints that that we gather and we love one another in the midst of a world that is in rebellion against God. Our tune is love. And so our love for one another is to be a respite in the midst of the meteors of hate that will come bearing down upon believers from the world. So how right it is that we keep singing and praying, even as we just sang a moment ago, you know, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with love. Let's keep praying that, keep singing that. Our love is to be a fortification which comes in deep contrast to the opposite of love that we see in these verses. And what do we see then? So instead of love from the world, we see that you will be hated. You will be hated. We see that in verses 18 through 25. And and the word here used, it's not a mild word. I mean, hate. I mean, it's not just kind of like easygoing, you know, smooth selling, you know. That's not the word that we have here. It means to detest, to abhor, to dislike intensely, you know, persecute in hatred. So it's not, not a word that makes you feel all warm and cozy inside. I mean, just take that and, and kind of compare that to the way some people preach today, you know. You know, you know, health and wealth and all this stuff, you know, if you come to Jesus, you know, have no troubles whatsoever. What is Jesus saying here then? What a contradiction. Because perhaps what they're saying isn't true. And what Jesus is saying is true. Amen. Now the if here, it's, it's not implying might. So verse 18, if the world hates you, it's not might. The basic sense of verse 18 is that this is coming and you need to know about it. Jesus wants his disciples to know this is what the world and how the world will treat you. And so the rest of the passage here, it makes this clear. And so there's this kind of certain logical sequence to this hate that 
is expressed towards believers, those who, who know Christ. And so we don't, we don't actually see that, first and foremost, that this hate is directed directly at us. But who is it directed at first and foremost? That's right, the world first and foremost hates Jesus. So Jesus, he says there in verse 18, it has hated me before it hated you. How terrible. You know, I mean, the one who most loves us and the one most worthy of your love and my love, and we need to say it this way, is the one that we have most hated. We most hated. And so after Jesus, he, you know, he says this, you know, no one interrupts him here, right? You know, Peter, he doesn't kind of jump in and say, oh, wait, what do you mean, Jesus? You know, they haven't hated you. You know, what are you talking about? You know, Thomas, he doesn't break in. He doesn't say, what you talking about, Willis? You know, he doesn't do that, you know, because why, you know, why don't they break in there is because they had seen, they have seen the hate. They had heard his words. Even if they didn't fully understand, you know, everything he was saying, they had seen it, you know, and we've seen it too. I mean, in, in this gospel, you know, you just look back and think of even, you know, before they go to Lazarus, you know, who's dead, you know, they're like, okay, we'll go with you. We're all just going to go and die with Jesus, you know. So they, they know what the intent is for Jesus. And even more than that, we've seen it with the, the religious leaders in the Gospel of John and even of the people. I mean, twice in this Gospel, they have picked up stones ready to kill Jesus. I mean, what does it take to do that, right? I mean, you're stone after stone hitting someone. And we lose some of that imagery today because we're just, we don't see death as regularly as they did. But man, they knew about this hate towards Jesus. And we know that they, these religious leaders and the people, they will eventually succeed, Right? They would hate Jesus all the way to the cross. And you know that that hate hasn't stopped. It's not just kind of a back then kind of thing, you know. No one hit the pause button on what Jesus is saying here on on this, this kind of hate. He is still hated today. You know, people, they will gladly take up a modified Jesus... You know, they'll, they'll de-supernaturalize him. You know, they'll remove his deity. They'll make him out to be only a man who walked only, you know, 2,000 years ago. But when it comes to the real Jesus, their response is, we will not have him. The one who preached on hell more than anyone else in Scripture. We will not listen to his words. The one who declares a certain judgment to come. And so they hate Jesus and, and flowing from that hate, we see the second kind of direction of their hate. The world hates those who belong to Jesus. 
verses 19 through 21. And, you know, out of sheer mercy, Jesus chose the disciples out of the world. And now they belong to him. And that's true of you as well. He chose you out of the world. And now you belong to him. And just kind of underline mercy. You know, out of his sheer mercy, he did that. But if you know Christ now by his spirit, the spirit of Christ, he is in us. Christ is in us. And so what that means then is that we are not just kind of part of the gang, you know, when it comes to the world. You know, the world here in this, these verses, it refers to kind of the rebellious humanity. You know, people who are made in God's image, who are at odds with God. Those who are sin-separated, spiritually dead, rebels against God. And you're not part of that gang That's not you if you know Christ. If you know Christ, you have been made alive in Christ. And now you belong to him completely. He is your master in every way. And you are his servant in every way. Even his friend, as we heard just a moment ago before our passage here. Now... The world hates then who? Well, he hates Christ in you. That's who they hate. As verse 21 says there, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Not you. It's because of him. It's because of Jesus. So as they persecuted Christ... As you are Christ's servants, gladly serving him. I love my master. I am his friend. So they will persecute his towel-toting followers as well. Now, as we kind of read these verses, in verse 20, you know, Jesus, he says something here that might kind of sound strange or perhaps, you know, be like, what does that mean, you know? When he says, if, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Well, he, he's not saying here that everyone kept his word. You know, like everybody there. Some did. But even if they didn't kind of wholly believe in him, some did kind of keep his word. They received it. They considered his teaching instead of kind of wholly dismissing it. You know, Nicodemus... He was one of those. You know, he, if you remember, he came to Jesus by night, inquiring of Jesus, trying to, to know what he's about and hearing him out. Well, Nicodemus' story is not over, and we'll come to that later in the Gospel of John. But we see that in him, and it, it might even be that some of these do, in fact, eventually believe. But what Jesus means here is that there's going to be a division over him. There'll be a division over his words. And some will do, as we've seen. Could this be the Christ? You know? Is this perhaps the prophet? 
Or others will say, no, no, he is not the Christ. Put him to death. Nail him to a cross. So in essence here at the bottom of their hate is the world hates God. The world hates God. And we see that in verses 22 through 25. And so verse 21 it says, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 23, also, whoever hates me hates my father also. So in rejecting Jesus, they are rejecting God. In hating Jesus, they are hating God. And that's true of every single religion outside of in Christ and Christ alone. And their guilt here is great. Jesus says that in verse 22. The guilt that Jesus is talking about here it isn't saying that they, they weren't guilty before, like they hadn't sinned against God, you know, or something to that effect. But he, he's pointing out the depth of the heinousness of their sin, the depth of their guilt that all of them bear. They had heard and they had seen all that Jesus had said and all that Jesus had done, and yet their answer to Jesus is no mountains of guilt. And they have no excuse. Unless you kind of push that off to the side and say, well, that was then. I think many people sitting in pews today will hear a similar tune from Jesus when they stand before him. You had heard the preaching. You had heard all these words from Scripture. You had heard about who I am. You had heard about what I did. For you, the love by which God sent me into the world to save you. And yet, you were part of that church all your life and never, ever knew me. You heard it. You saw it. And you denied me till the end. John Bunyan's words come back to us. Barren tree will be cut off with the axe. Where is your fruit? Is there any fruit at all? Well, we need to take heed to these things and consider ourselves. And so here they, they hated Jesus, which is incredible. They hated the most truly unhateable man who ever lived. <laughs> We all kind of have, I mean, if you had, a, you could find a reason to not, to not like others, to not like every one of us in this room, to even hate one another. You'll find something in someone else. I mean, it could be even little things, you know, the way they eat their food, you know, the way they crunch it, you know, man, ooh, I hate that person. You know, all those, we, that's, that's where we are. We can even go down to that level. Well, Jesus, he was the most unhateable man while we, man, we are just not that. And so quoting from Psalm 69.4 or perhaps Psalm 35, 
19, he says they hated him without cause. And yet he had done nothing wrong. He is the only person in all of history that that can be said about. And what do we do to him? The most unhateable person. So in all this, we see the deep root of this persecution is hatred of God. Hatred of God. And all of this, you know, as you hear it, you may just be thinking, well, I've heard this in church before, you know. Or maybe you haven't. (laughs) Maybe you're just, whoa. But this isn't just kind of abstract stuff. Jesus isn't just kind of saying this just to say it and be like, oh, that's deep. This is talking about real life. This is talking about today, right now, 2021. May, this hour. It's real. Right now, it's estimated there are more than 70,000 Christians in concentration camps in North Korea. 70,000. He's not being abstract. And to add to that, so in 2020, just this past year, if you think this is abstract, more than 340 million Christians worldwide faced various forms of intense persecution. Not abstract. So this is is not evidence of a world that is set aright, but it is evidence of a world that is deeply at its heart, at its core, opposed to God. Opposed to the one who made it. And so Jesus' words here, man, they're sobering, aren't they? Especially in an America where very likely, if you've grown up in the church, you haven't heard this again and again. But even so, in light of these sobering words, may it be, may we continue living for Christ. Even so, live for Christ. You know, you might be hearing all this and be saying, you know, I didn't sign up for that. Well, yeah, you did. (laughs) You did. You did because you live in a world opposed to God as you were opposed to God before you came to Christ. Jesus, he would not have us live under a delusion of worldly bliss with all of our smartphones and televisions and nice cars and picket fences and think his word is any less true now than it was then. As they persecuted Jesus, as they hated Jesus, they will hate his followers also. Yet even so, keep loving him. Keep adoring him. Keep living for Christ. You will face the hatred of the world, but even so, abide in him. And what? His joy will be in you, and your joy will be full. Even so, as they're hating you, as they're persecuting you, my joy is to the fullest because of Christ in me. 
John 12, 25, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's where I'm headed. They can hate me now, but that's temporary. And life in Christ is eternal. And that's where I'm going. Come with me. Is our plea. Which leads us directly into what we see next here. But even as we will be hated, you will witness. And we are to witness. We see that in verses 26 through 27. So in the midst of his sobering words here, he reminds you his spirit is with you. His spirit is with you. So again, here in the Gospel of John, he is encouraging the disciples saying, you're not going to go through this alone. You're not alone in this. He's encouraging us and saying, little children, you are not alone. He has given us his spirit, the helper, the paraclete, to be with us. And the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, He is not a liar. In case we missed it the first time when He said it in John 14, 17, He tells us again, He is the Spirit of truth. He is trustworthy. He tells you the truth. Right now, He's telling you the truth from His Word. And He empowers us to tell the truth also. And so the Spirit bears witness to Jesus, and you will bear witness to Jesus also. So as the Spirit bears witness, we bear witness. So just notice here that a mark of the Spirit's work in your life, in my life, is what? That we will bear witness to the truth we will tell people about Christ. We will share the gospel to the lost. And so you and I were being exhorted here in the face of the hatred of the world. Don't leave the world. Love it and share Christ with it. And so at Jesus' words here, you might be you might have been kind of looking kind of right now like for the back door, like I thought I was a Christian, but man, you know, maybe I need to go that direction, like go the other way. If that's what lies ahead, you know, I am out of here. I'm going to go and live in a cave somewhere. Well, Jesus is saying in these verses, no, dear child, do not leave the world. Share me with the world. And so the world's hatred is not a call for us to flee from witness, which is kind of what we do. But it's to flee to witness. We're to go to them. We're to go to those who are on the precipice of disaster and to seek to win them to Christ. And we can because who's in us I may not know all the answers. I may not, I may not even, I might be even scared or whatever, but the Spirit of God is in me, so I will declare his name to one and all. And so this 
love of Christ that compels us, thinks, makes me think of a story that I heard, you know, a number of years ago. But a man in Kenya, in Africa, he was a Maasai warrior named Joseph. So he had come to faith in Christ. You know, this person had shared the gospel with him and he heard his words and he heard about the gospel and he came to faith and he believed and he's just, wow, you know, God would save me, a sinner, and he's amazed by the gospel and his whole life is transformed by Christ. And so out of this glorious news that he's heard and filled with the joy of Christ, he wanted to go and do what we would do is to go share that good news with others. He wanted to go tell his fellow tribesmen about the good news that he had heard and share with them these things. And so he went to his village and he began going door to door, sharing Christ with them. And instead of receiving his news with joy, it became violent. They seized Joseph and they held him down while the women began beating him again and again with strands of barbed wire. And they beat him to a pulp. And then when they were done, they dragged him out of the village and they left him for dead. But he wasn't dead. Though he was badly, badly hurt, he was able to crawl and make his way to a water hole nearby. And after many days of passing in and out of consciousness, he began to kind of slowly recover. And in the midst of all this, he's thinking, you know, what went wrong? You know, he couldn't understand why the people that he had known all of his life would treat him this way, you know. Maybe, maybe he said it wrong. Maybe he got some truth of it wrong. And so he said it must have been something with him. And so after reciting the gospel message again that he had heard, rehearsing it again, ensuring that he had it right as he had heard it, he went back into the village. And he went limping into the circle of the people's huts and he began preaching Christ to the people, he died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God. But they would not have it. They took him again and the women again beat him with these strands of barbed wire and the wounds that were healing are healed no more. And they took him out of the village again dumping him out for dead. Now, that he survived the first beating was amazing, but to survive a second one, incredible. (laughs) But that's exactly what happened, which can only be explained by the grace of God. And so days later, he woke up. He woke up in the bushes, all wounded and beaten, Again, yet he would not give up. He went back to the village. And this time, before he was able to say anything, they saw him coming. They went out and met him, and the tribesmen grabbed him as before and began beating him vigorously. 
Now, Joseph, he would not survive this one. And as they beat him, all he knew is what he must do. And so he kept proclaiming Christ as they beat him with the barbed wire. Come to Christ. He died for you. Believe and be forgiven. And just as he was passing out, he began seeing the women who were beating him beginning to weep over him. He awoke in his own bed, and as he awoke, everyone around him was doing these strange things. The ones who had beaten him were now doing everything they could to save him. They had heard what he had said, and they wanted to hear more. And the entire village came to faith in Christ. Friends, Jesus is calling us not to leave the God-hating world to themselves, but even so, even though they hate us, like Joseph, we are to go by the power of the Spirit of God and to declare Christ to them, just like Joseph did. Now, our passage ends then with a simple exhortation. Ender, ender. So Jesus, he says in verse 1, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. So he is telling us all of these things. The very real hatred that is going to come, that came and has been coming all these thousands of years upon believers for our good. And he's telling us this to literally, what this word means here is to keep us from stumbling, to keep us from stumbling. So he's, he's placing his hands on your shoulders and on our shoulders, and he's graciously telling us, hold fast endure and to endure even when persecution is great and costly. And so the things that he lists here, they're costly. I mean, you know, he he mentions here if you're put out of a synagogue, right? Indeed, the hour where he said they will put you out of the synagogues, which happened... Now, you may be thinking, well, that doesn't sound so bad. You know, if I get put out of my church, it's just, I'll go find another one. You know, <laughs> if that happened to me, well, that's not the same. That's not the way it functioned here. If you were put out of a synagogue, you were basically dead to the world, to your family. You're, you're, you're forgotten. You're, you're gone. Or you're, you're not remembered. Forget about that person. So even when it's costly like that, when your family turns their back on you, you lose your job, which may happen. Or you're beaten again and again like Joseph. He's calling you and I to endure saints. And to make all of this more sobering, as they hate you, they think that they're serving God. 
make it. They think they're honoring God by killing you, by fighting against you. Paul was like that. He thought he was zealously serving God as he persecuted and hated Christians and had them arrested and put to death. You know, and many today are like that too. You know, our peasant culture right now, with all of its various spiritualities, they think this way. You know, here in America, many say that they're serving this kind of greater cause, you know. This greater thing that is greater than respecting or honoring or any hearing out anything you have to say because you're a follower of Christ. They are serving their so-called God while rejecting God and His Word. And so religion after religion believes that they are honoring God while hating Him and hating us. And so in the midst of all of this, in the midst of whatever may come for us in America, we are to remember His words. Remember His words. When you are hated by the world, remember His words. You know, I, I think many of us are in for a shock. You know, we might say to Jesus and say, man, yeah, I would die for him. And yet, we don't even, you know, serve in the church. You know, we don't even come to church. You know, we don't even risk anything for Christ. You know? And yet we think that somehow we're going to kind of be transformed when the world expressly begins hating us. And God is calling us to examine our hearts. Where are our hearts? But when the hate comes, he's calling us to endure. Following Christ will not be easy, but keep fighting the good fight of the faith. And so though we will be hated saints, let us boldly keep sharing Christ and boldly endure for the sake of his name. Press on. Christ is with you by his spirit. Share Christ for his glory. Even as they hate you and let your joy be to the full. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning and I just, we all recognize that this is not a common theme of the stream of Christianity that has been common for years and years in America. But we see that this is true. And we, as followers of Christ, take these things to heart to love our Savior all the more. May you work in us this morning that that would be the exhortation in our hearts as we see this, that we would say yes, they will hate us, but man, I love the Lord and I will, see, I will continue and press on and I will endure by his grace, remembering his words here, continuing to share Christ with the lost world, even as they hate us. We will love them 
and we will not flee from them, but will share Christ with them. So help us, Lord, grant us boldness, grant us courage for the facing of that hour. So be with us and pray this morning. If there's anyone here or online who doesn't know you this, this morning, that you help them to see that they need this Savior who loved them so that he gave his life and died for their sins and for their guilt to save them from the wrath of God, to save them from separation from God for all eternity. May they put their faith in Christ and believe in him and that all their sins can be forgiven this very day. So, Father, may you work in us this morning as we sing, as we respond. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.